Everybody air drums. Nobody air keys. Nobody air pianos. That's true. You got to get the air piano going. What's even what's it, what's even the verb? Like air keys, air piano, air pianos is not like air drumming. I, what do you do? I'm an air drummer. I'm air guitar, air piano, I guess. Air yeah, keyboard, sure. air keys. I think you're overthinking it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I should have just let my incredible air king speak for itself. It's Monday morning, October 25th, and this episode of Real Talk is proudly presented by our title sponsors at Bitcoin Well. If you checked out our Friday show, you know that we got this email from Anne, who sent us in. A, it said report on withdrawal through Bitcoin. And when you have a subject line that says that, you never know what it's going to be about, because in the world of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, you hear all kinds of stories. Turns out it was an email about Bitcoin Well in particular and how she was thrilled at how the process went. She was dealing with Benny and the team over there and basically said she thought that real talkers might be interested to hear about it. You know that I was excited to tell you about it because I'm the same as Anne. I look around, I hear all these stories of people that are trying to figure out this new landscape and you go, I need some credibility here. I need some calm in the water when we're talking about this investment or this savings plan or whatever's right for you. Don't buy Bitcoin based on my recommendation, but if you're considering it, Go talk to the team at Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Great show in store coming up in uh, just about five minutes time. We're going to talk to the new mayor of Medicine Hat, technically not sworn in yet, but the mayor elect of Medicine Hat, Alberta, Lindsay Clark. This is a great story, and you've seen her on national newscasts over the past couple of days. Uh, because there's a lot to her story, uh, fascinating story, relatively young, uh, politically, uh, I guess the word you would say is is inexperienced, not as a blast against her. But she's been working as a lawyer in the city solicitor's office, didn't decide to run until July, which is, uh, you know, in terms of, of a campaign, very late to throw your name into the hat for an October election, uh, had no social media accounts and then won in an absolute trouncing a landslide and not in a scenario where in some of Alberta's bigger cities, you'd say, well, that was a landslide in that vote. You know, Calgary, Edmonton, pretty decisive wins by the mayor's elect there. But there was no incumbent in that race. It's a little bit different. Lindsey Clark beat the incumbent, Ted Clugston, the mayor of Medicine Hat, by a wide margin. So I'm really curious. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to pick her brain. Uh, ask her what prompted her to run. Uh, she's got an interesting perspective, having worked in the city solicitor's office. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, were expecting her to drag some skeletons out of the closet in her campaign. But she ran a what you might describe as a relatively positive campaign. Uh, and and uh, there's a lot to talk about. We've already got some messages from real talkers. I love this, like Mark Doran, who's a good friend of the show. Mark's done a lot of work for advocacy around orphan wells, and, and he brought us up to speed. I didn't know this about Medicine Hat. Uh, but Mark pointed out just this morning, he said, this city's unique. When you when you read about Medicine Hat, and this is of interest across Canada, the city's got a, a rich and storied history, uh, maybe heavy on the rich, when it comes to natural gas. And it's one of many Alberta towns and cities, Mark lets us know, where active, inactive, and, and abandoned oil wells were drilled and do exist. But the city of Medicine Hat is unique. It is also the mineral owner and the producing, quote-unquote, oil company. And so Mark's wondering, what's the city's plan? Uh, will they dump wells and other liabilities to small companies that go broke? You've heard about this strategy. 
creating orphan wells? And, and if so, what's the plan? So I like this. This is a fastball from Mark for mayor-elect when she joins us. A lot of other things to talk about as well. We're going to talk to Byron Holland a little bit later on today as well from CIRA. That's the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. I know that many of you that tune into this show that download this podcast, maybe you're downloading it later in the day from lousy Internet somewhere in rural parts of Canada. And this is probably going to pique your interest. We, we, this is a story that matters to a lot of Canadians for obvious reasons. Uh, number one, yeah, sure. It's annoying when you're trying to stream content. If you want to join us live here via the Mixler audio app or streaming us live on YouTube in the mornings, it's difficult with with a lousy setup. But also, what about the trends where Healthcare and education and other government services are largely moving online, at least many of the options when it comes to those service deliveries moving online. It's relevant uh, to many Canadians, and that's why we wanted to get up to speed with Byron. We're also keeping an eye on, on some other stories that have been making news, uh, literally, I guess, around the world, you might say, uh, including that absolutely brutal scenario on a film set uh, in the U.S. just last week. We were talking about this briefly, Sarah Hoyles, uh, this film Rust, uh, where Alec Baldwin and and I guess, you know, typically you would say in something like this, allegedly. But I mean, the, the film star has has tweeted about it himself that he accidentally shot uh, a colleague, uh, a prop gun. Everybody, I think, knows the story by now that was supposed to have blanks in it. And you'll, you'll have to pardon me. I'm not a gun guy. I'm not a firearms expert. Maybe some of my language might not be exactly accurate, but basically supposed to have blanks in it. Supposed to be what they call a cold gun. That was not the case, obviously. And cinematographer uh, Helena Hutchins shot and killed on that film set. Investigation underway, of course. Alec Baldwin says, of course, he's fully cooperating here. Have we learned anything new or any new information surfacing over the past few days? A vigil was held for that cinematographer on Saturday. And now, I mean, this isn't this is not the first time that bands have kind of been batted about the idea like we should not have live firearms on sets of TV or films. So that idea of a ban, an outright ban is not new, but it's definitely gathering steam because of this. I mean, I'm just kind of shocked because um, little known fact, my undergrad, my first undergrad was uh, in theater in theater and drama and one of the things is you're not supposed to ever point a gun even if it's just uh, a prop gun yeah never point it at anyone yeah. like so even if you're on stage you're doing a, a a scene and you're you're aiming it at somebody you aim it off to the side yeah so this is just kind of like but it also sounds like this is there was there was a lot of problems on this set. Well, it sounds like the the uh, the gun discharged as he was discussing with them how he, this is according to reports from yeah. the set as he was discussing how he was going to pull it from his holster. In other words, he was not pointing it at. I mean, technically, of course, he was pointing it at her. It hit her, but he was not intentionally like aiming it at her, pointing right. at her, working out a scene where he was pointing it at her. It sounds like it just discharged as he was pulling it out. I mean, horrific all around. She was a mom. She's a wife. Oh. She's obviously a, a friend i mean it's just the ripple effect on this set and then there's this uh i don't know if it's been confirmed or not i've seen it reported by the la times and others that that apparently several members of that film crew had walked off the set citing safety concerns in particular about firearms hours before the shooting yeah and crew members on the set had raised multiple safety concerns about the production prior to the shooting just so horrible and then you've got the uh, you've got this, uh, you know, communications giant, the Rogers family, 
in particular, Ed Rogers. So Ted Rogers, the founder of Rogers Communications. Everybody knows Rogers Communications, right? Like they, they basically own everything in Canada, right? They've <laughs> got like, like TV stations, radio stations, magazines, uh, online resources. Uh, basically, they own uh, the Raptors and the Toronto Blue Jays, don't they? Am I right on that? Or MLSC? Kind of, I don't know how that all works out. But They're not full owners, but they certainly have a large they have share. Large shares. Yeah. They provide internet to people everywhere. They provide mobile service. In other words, you know, cell phone service. Are they call it cell phones anymore? They're still called cell phones, right? Smartphones, cell phones. Cell, cell phones. phones. Yeah, okay. Phones. Uh, so, so basically, like, Rogers owns just billions of dollars worth of infrastructure, does billions of dollars in business every year, employs uh, tens of thousands of Canadians, uh, has, you know, 10 million customers, so says Martha Rogers. She's Ed's sister, also a director of Rogers and, and chair of Rogers ESG and chair of the Rogers Foundation. And she and her mom, so, like, Ted's, The word widow sounds weird to use, but, you know, mama, like the matriarch, you know, she's also, by the way, involved in the board. So they're all fighting with Ed and there's infighting on the family's front. But Martha finally said, I won't be bullied and I'm going to do what dad would have wanted me to do. And I'm going to protect the company and I'm going to stand up to you guys. And, And basically in layperson's terms, over the course of the weekend, Ed now allegedly is throwing these like super secret quasi board meetings, trying to appoint a new board, appointed himself the chair of the board over the weekend. And Martha's laughing now on Twitter. You've got to give her a follow at Martha L. Rogers. I checked yesterday. She had like, I don't know, something like 1500 Twitter followers this morning. She had 8500. Now she's got 9900. That was half an hour ago. So so she's going to have 100,000 followers today. And, uh, you know, she tweets just 12 hours ago. I see Ed after the super secret board meeting, has appointed himself the chairman. Says his sister, LOL, this should be taken as seriously as if he appointed himself the king of England. (laughs) She then hashtags old guard down. I mean, this is major. So that's a story that we're keeping an eye on when it comes to Canada's communications landscape. I wonder if Byron Holland is going to want to talk about that at all from CIRA, from the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. He's pro- my, my, my guess is he's probably going to say, we don't take positions, you know, commenting on strife between boards of publicly traded communications companies. But thank you, Ryan, for your question. I but think you it will be something ask. along those lines. So you, I'll ask. You gotta. I'll see what he makes of that. And then there's some polling over the weekend as well, reported in McLean's magazine. Um, 338 polling. I know a lot of people will, will sort of roll their eyes when they hear about polls. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. But it goes to show that in Alberta, there could be big change right now. Were an election to be held. Now, if you were to say, Jesperson, there's not going to be an election held, a provincial election. So why are we even talking about this? I would probably look at you and say, yeah, you're kind of right. It's why it's the third thing I'm mentioning today. But it's interesting because it shows that if there was an election today, the NDP would on be on pace to win about 60 seats the ucp's seat share would be would be more than cut in half and the ndp would form a majority government by a mile and so that's something interesting that we're keeping an eye on as well and we've got some emails from you to talk at ryanjesperson.com and and maybe we'll get into that we'll see if we get into that it depends on how our conversations go today on the show if we can find some extra time because we're going to dig into the results of our question of the week as well fascinating one i feel like i want to spoil something i'm not going to spoil it 
I'm going to hold on to it. But our official research and strategy partners at Y Station have sent us the so-called top sheets from our question of the week where we asked you about Alberta's recent municipal elections. And uh, there's there's a statistic in there about the percentage of real talkers that voted. And it knocked my socks off right across the room. Knocked my (laughs) socks off. And uh, so we'll get into that. If you're one of our Patreon subscribers and one of our supporters on Patreon, thank you very much. You can learn more about that on our website, ryanjesperson.com. You already have the top sheets in your inbox, so you already know what I'm talking about. Don't spoil it for everybody else. I'll get into that surprise coming up in just a little bit. Mayor Lindsey Clark, in just a moment, of the city of Medicine Hat, I wanted to remind you that our friends at Friesen Brothers right now, they know that Halloween's fast approaching. And you may have left it until now, which is totally fine. As far as I'm concerned, you're still ahead of the curve when it comes to securing Halloween candy, things like that. I haven't started yet working on my costume, which is slightly problematic. My family tells me my costume is going to be a lot of work. And so I get to get set on that. It's all the more reason to go visit Friesen Brothers at their 16 locations across the province of Alberta. You know the you know the BOGO buy one, get one. People love their BOGO offers. Well, Friesen Brothers offers BOOGO. I thought that was pretty good. Coming up to Halloween, it's Boogo. Jesus. Buy one, get one on selected products. A great deal for Halloween at Friesen Brothers. 16 locations, always Alberta-owned and Alberta-grown. A big shout-out to our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge as well. They're, they're so excited, I know. And if you've been talking to them, if you're in the market for new family wheels, whether it's a minivan, whether it's the Ram 1500, I mean, just back to back to back Motor Trend truck of the year. Maybe it's something out of the new Jeep lineup, that new Grand Cherokee L with the third row of seating. They've got selection back on their lots. They've got trucks arriving literally every day, bringing in more new rides. It's a big deal because for the last year, selection's been at a minimum at dealerships across Canada. October is their biggest sale of the year at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, she, uh, a week ago today, was elected as the next mayor of Medicine Hat by a landslide, in fact. To many, she is not a household name, whether you're a politico or not, but many are intrigued by her story as we welcome making her Real Talk debut today, the mayor-elect for Medicine Hat, Alberta, Lindsay Clark. Thanks for making time for us. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. Great to see you as well. I'm excited to hear your story. Because if, if everything that I'm hearing and reading is correct, you were through the month of June and, and even into a bit of July before you even decided to run. This is this is like a whirlwind campaign. Yeah, it was. It sure was. <laughs> and uh, luckily, we had a really good team that was willing to be a bit scrambly at times to, so that we could, you know, get out there and meet as many people as we we possibly could during such a short period of time. You had uh, you'd done some work as a lawyer working in the city solicitor's office and and uh, you'd been somewhat critical of uh, some of the ways that the city had been doing business uh, with regards to attracting investment or whatever. And I'd love for you to clarify. But was was there something was was there that moment, that tipping point where you saw something or heard something and went, that's it, I'm running. No, there wasn't really. I loads of people have asked me that, and I kind of wish there was something magical about it. It was just honestly uh, over a period of time. I kind of just 
felt like we were drifting away or the city was drifting away from the community values that I cherish. And so I would say I didn't even 100% for certain know um, until I handed my leave papers in. So I had to take an unpaid leave of absence so that I could run. And I filled those papers out, but until I actually handed them in, I think there was always like a little bit of uncertainty there. A uh, bit of a different scenario for you as, a, as opposed to some of Alberta's other recognizable cities, uh, including Lethbridge, Red Deer, you know, Wood Buffalo, Fort McMurray, uh, in that you did run against an incumbent, right? Mayor Ted Clarkson was looking to secure a third term. Uh, he was able to earn 4,659 votes. You won with 13,151. Uh, almost, if not more, my math is bad. I think three times. I think you tripled them. Uh, you know, what do you think it was about your campaign that so resonated with voters in Medicine Hat? Well, partly just timing. I mean, uh, there there was a feeling, a, a desire for change that we could tell in the community when we were knocking on doors, talking to people. There was just a, a real... Um, motivation to change things up and in addition to that we ran a campaign that was very much based on talking to as many people as we could in the community and i mean there were loads of other candidates this this year talking about change as well and so at the for, for council so i got to like meet with a lot of them and um in some in some ways we i think uh, bolstered each other's messages because we were unintentionally kind of talking about the same things, that real change message. We want something fresh, something new, something that isn't, you know, based on partisanship, but based on evidence and and community input. So I think that just resonated with people this time. I, I promise the majority of this interview will be about you, not the former mayor. But I have to ask you about a campaign video that, that he released where he, he kind of took some pretty big swipes at the media, uh, took some pretty big swipes at the left, uh, so to speak, at unions. Went on to say what separates me from the other candidates is that I love is that I love this city and I've proven it, which I thought, ooh, those are fighting words. Uh, but so this might lead people to believe, OK, you know, people that are that have not been to Medicine Hat in a while or maybe people across the country watching this that don't know a lot about Medicine Hat. They're going to be going, OK, so that sounds like kind of like a right wing kind of a speech, the left unions media. So did a lefty just win? I mean, is the new council going to lean left? People try to figure it out. I know it's not your preference, this political spectrum. I've seen your comments on it before. But what does this new council look like as far as you can tell for people that are curious to know? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's super diverse, which is awesome. I think a lot of the people running for council and uh, I certainly wanted to have those many voices. Um, you know, we've got a, a great mix of people with different backgrounds and probably political leanings. So we're going to have some good debates. And I think that that's that's great. Ultimately, our goal is to serve the community, take care of, you know, human health, economic health and environmental health. And I think we all share those goals and we're all going to work if, from an evidence based perspective, I think. So uh, it should it should end up being very, very healthy. How would you describe Medicine Hat today to people that are either unfamiliar or could use a little reintroduction? Well, we are a, a fun city. We're kind of unique. We are extremely unique in that we own our own 
uh, natural gas and petroleum production business, and then our um, electric utility. So that's generation, distribution, transmission, and retail. So that's very unique, and it's it's very much part of our uh, history of of you know I think uh, all hell for a basement. You know we've always kind of been associated with the the energy in our industry, and right now there's a recognition that we're going through an energy transition. So we're going to need to be uh, planning long term, make sure we're bringing renewables on. Um, and uh, taking a look at offsets so that we can protect the, uh, the value of our generation assets into the long term. And also, like we we have really uh, an amazing social servicing uh, group here, uh, as well as some incredible industry and business. And we're what we're hoping to do, I think, over the next few years is is not just uh, advertise that we have these amazing industries and businesses and and the medicine at advantage, but also, uh, augment it, like start building it out a little bit more, make sh- making sure that we're, our economic health is really strong. When do you swear in, by the way? November 1st. November 1st. That's going to be a big, big day. I mean, and, and it sort of gives people an idea, I think, of, of what it looks like because there starts to be buzz around top priorities and first orders of business. And uh, we've had some moments on this show in the in the last week. That's for sure. I asked uh, Mayor-elect Gondek in Calgary, what's her first order of business in Calgary? She says to declare a climate emergency. The Internet exploded when she said it, uh, which was fascinating. What's yours? What's the, what's the very first thing that's going to move across your desk? Well, you know, we, we have to do some strategic planning for sure. So the council... Um, is going to have to meet throughout the next couple of months to start uh, talking about where we want to be as a community long term. Um, and then that, that involves some public participation as well. And until we have those real firm community goals, I think I know probably what some of them are going to be. Like I said, the uh, we got to have long term planning around our electric utility. We have to develop a long term economic development strategy, which we don't have right now. Uh, so those are two big things. And then, of course, the housing insecurity, mental health and and uh, substance use. These are not obviously uh strictly municipal jurisdiction but they are affecting our community in a in a very serious way so those are three that we heard come up a lot and then of course we have also a recreation plan not of course you wouldn't know that but we have a um a parks and rec master plan coming up uh very soon in the new year that we'll have to look at take a look at and kind of determine where we want our parks and recreation to go over the next next little while this is why we do these interviews so we can find out about these things and learn about these things. Everybody's going to learn a little something about Medicine Hat today. I hope that's the case for sure. Uh, voter turnout in your city up 40 percent from 36 percent in 2017. In other words, it more than doubled. That's wild. What does that tell you about Medicine Hat right now? That Medicine Hat is awesome. <laughs> I... <laughs> I think that's great that our voter turnout is is up. And, um, you know, I think more people are interested in practical politics right now. And I think when you see voting go, going up like that, it's obviously because, you know, there's an increased interest and people are kind of tired of being divided, I think, a little bit. So um, I think maybe people came out 
to support. And, you know, if you look at some of the other candidates that got elected, just practical politics, like serving the community in a real, re, uh, real practical, responsible way, not so much fomenting division or focusing on division, but really trying to bring the community together. Well, it's it's fascinating to see across the province uh, the electoral results in, you know, and I, I think even people a lot of times when, you know, quite frankly, let me just say, Mayor Elect, like when people hear the words medicine hat, oftentimes they're hearing it when I or other media commentators are describing the riding where now independent MLA Drew Barnes works, right? Cypress Hills medicine hat. That's when people hear medicine hat and then they go medicine hat, Drew Barnes, and then they re- Google Drew Barnes. And then they're like, wow, OK. And Drew's been on the show several times um, and I'm not trying to beef with Barnes. I'm just saying people may have a certain preconceived notion about what medicine hat is all about and you could say the same thing about you know the the Farkas vote in Calgary or the nickel vote in Edmonton or what have you and uh, an interesting result in Lethbridge Lethbridge's vote went a little bit of a different direction with with mayor-elect Hagan who we've been talking to he's going to join us on the show in a bit but but uh, it's pretty interesting stuff isn't it you know I mean with regards to what people might think about your community versus how your community voted totally I I completely agree with you and I think that this just goes to show what I've been saying is kind of true, where people are complex. You can't pigeonhole someone or pigeonhole a community into just right or just left because those spectrums are are not real. There's there's so many different issues, and I think most people would look at you know being conservative or being uh, progressive and they could say, oh yeah, I like some of that stuff or, or a particular party. I like some of what they're doing, but not all of it. And so it kind of just depends what the focus is at a particular time, whether you're going to be right or left. But ultimately the reality is those, those dichotomies are, are not that useful in terms of explaining uh, what is a very complicated, uh, economic system, social system and, and political system. Uh, you know, I, I say to people, and I know not everybody would characterize themselves this way, but that's totally fine. That's kind of the point. Um, I'm a right winger on some things, and I'm a left winger on some things. You know, I mean, I, I saw somebody describe my politics once as as you might describe a hockey player, right winger that shoots left. And I thought, yeah, that, that fits all right. I don't like being when people try to nail me down to a board. Uh, or start, try to like sort of pin the tail onto the spectrum. And it sounds to me like you feel the same way. I find it to be somewhat counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about the issues. Yeah. Not like what are what everyone's uh, supposed talking points are on a particular thing. Or yeah. if if you're in the this tribe, you can only have these positions. That's bananas. It's not helpful at all. Uh, Mayor elect, typically a municipal politician would be able to dodge a question on orphan wells, uh, but uh, not you for obvious reasons. And uh, Mark Doran, who's a friend of the show, he's joined us. He's been a real advocate for for, you know, he wants to see responsible cleanup and the proper uh, corporations or people, stakeholders, let's say, paying for remediation and et cetera, et cetera. And so he, he has a question for you directly. And he wonders uh, with Medicine Hat's unique position as essentially the oil company. Uh, will the city act like other oil companies and dump wells and related liabilities to small companies that go broke, creating orphans? Will urban wells in particular be monitored long term for gas leakage after they're plugged? Do you have a position on this already? 
Well, the city of Medicine Hat has undertaken a huge abandonment and reclamation uh, program over the last couple of years. And it is it's certainly been our practice to do a good job of, of abandoning and reclaiming our wells. So uh, I'm not sure if that that's the program we're going to continue with in, in to the future uh, rather than uh, producing. But uh, certainly the city of Medicine Hat intends to meet its environmental responsibilities for sure. Does your position or, or, or the medicine hat set up and I'm not going to pretend like I know too much about it. Okay. I'm not going to fool anybody there, but, but the city essentially runs on natural gas, right? Does it put you in a position where you can be a little bit more bold or ambitious with regards to sustainable energy infrastructure and goals on that front? Well, that's, that's a, a piece of a number of people's campaigns this this last election uh, and many people in their platforms are talking about renewables. And for us, it's particularly important, as I said, because uh, our uh, electric generation assets are natural gas run. So that's that puts us in a good position for the shorter term, because as a cleaner burning fossil fuel, natural gas is going to be the backstop for a lot of the intermittent renewables coming on. But in the long term, we are going to need to start uh, being a little bit more aggressive about mixing in those renewables into our asset mix, finding ways to, you know, encourage um, more renewables to come online privately in the city, potentially, and uh, looking for offsets and ways to mitigate the potential risk to the value of our assets in terms of regulation and, and carbon taxes. But these are all just things that we need to start planning around. I don't want to say this is the, the way forward for Medicine Hat before we've really done a lot of thinking and uh, taking a look at what the cost benefit is to, to variety of different pathways. Uh, let me ask you in closing, you said that uh, I'm paraphrasing earlier in our conversation that you felt like the city had maybe been drifting away a little bit from its values. Uh, can you give us a sense of, of what you mean by that or maybe even a, a direct example and, and maybe how you intend to, to turn that tide? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that really came up a lot during this election was this idea of centralizing uh, recreation facilities. So currently we have a lot of smaller neighborhood facilities. So an ice rink or a pool within a, a smaller neighborhood. And this is important because it provides accessibility. People who can't drive can still attend uh, a pool or a skating rink. It um, encourages exercise and socialization. And all of these things are really important for human health, uh, mental and physical health. So, um, that now this debate is coming up of whether we want, now that we have to potentially invest in some of these facilities, is it time to build new? And if we build new, are we going to build in the neighborhoods or are we going to put them, start centralizing and put them farther away outside of the neighborhoods where people are going to have to drive to them? Uh, so, so from my perspective and a number of the other candidates, it's really important to uh to have those, uh, to, to maintain the integrity of our neighborhoods. So yeah, having the services and the amenities within each neighborhood so that they are accessible. So that was one of the, the debates that came up quite frequently in, in this election. Uh, Mayor Lech Clark, I want to thank you for your availability and uh, congratulations on, uh, I mean, just a decisive win 
uh, a week ago today. And I look forward to continuing these conversations. Uh, we'll get you in on a roundtable with a couple of other mayors. And, and uh, once you start to you know, put your stamp on the city, we wish you well. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You bet. That's Mayor-elect Lindsey Clark from Medicine Hat, Alberta. Just a that was a big win. Huge. Three times. I mean, you know, didn't have social media accounts. A, I mean, it's weird to say she was a virtual unknown because her like friends and family and colleagues will be like, I knew her. According to who? <laughs> yeah. Based on what parameter? Like, you know, she wasn't as popular as or she wasn't as well known as the premier or, you know, yeah, maybe not. Not as popular as the premier. That's I, that was an unintentional. Well, I, would, no? I would say she's probably more popular than the premier right now. But you get my point. Not a household name mm. is the point I'm making. And to go from declaring in July to 13,000 votes, 300 uh, percent what the incumbent gets like three months later is absolutely remarkable. It's wild. So I'd love to hear. I know that we have people that tune in from Medicine Hat. I'd love to hear from you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. And of course, this goes out to those of you across the province and across the country. Uh, we know more about issues that matter in your communities when you tell us about these issues, when you let us know who you'd love to see on the show, when you let us know about interviews you'd be interested to take in here on your favorite podcast. Thanks, everybody. On your favorite live streaming show every weekday morning. This is a huge week, by the way. I tweeted about this. I'm so excited about this week. You might have heard of him. Mark Messier. They say... They'll always say arguably, because you can't say this definitively, but arguably the greatest leader in the history of organized sport. What? He's on the short list. Some people will have their own uh, nominations. Some people will say, well, what about this person? What about this athlete? And we'll go, okay, yeah, they're they're pretty solid, too. But Mark Messier is so uh, respected and I would say revered in the National Hockey League that they named the leadership award after him. It's the Mark Messier leadership award. So not only you, you don't say, well, he won the award. No, he they named it after him. It's like the Rocket Richard trophy for goal scorers. You know what I'm saying? It's I mean, it's the same sort of a thing. He is the guy. So he's going to be joining us. So excited for that. Bruce McCullough, Kids in the Hall alum. Uh, they've got some cool stuff going on. In my mind, one of the funniest shows of all time. Uh, Bruce McCullough is going to join us on the show. Ian Hannah Mansing. No big deal. If 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 maple syrup on butter melted on fluffy hot pancakes was a voice, it would be Ian Hannah Mansing's voice. And he's going to join us this week on the show. And Dr. Jody Carrington makes her return as well. So if you subscribe to our Sunday email, I want to call this up really quick if I can find it. Why am I doing this to myself on the fly? If I can find if you subscribe to our Sunday email, it's free. Obviously, you can sign up by just scrolling down to the the bottom of the page at Ryan You can subscribe to it. It's your way of, of knowing, uh, first of all, the highlights from the show last week. And then, of course, what's coming up on the show this week. And so you can sign up. We'll, we'll tell you a little bit about what you may have missed. We do a great job. And by that, I mean, Sarah Hoyles does a great job of linking to some of the interviews you have to check out Reverend Michael Corrin last week. How good was that? Jesse Wente, 
Uh, Anishinaabe writer talking about his new national bestseller, Unreconciled. That was an incredible interview. It prompted our positive reflection for today, by the way. Positive Reflections is just one email today because it's a longer one, but it's amazing from Jerry. And I'm really looking forward to it. That was prompted by Jerry checking out Jesse Wente's interview. But we also let you know about some of the other interviews that are coming up, including, as you know, Ian Hanna-Mansing has mentioned. I'm going to I'm just going to mention that Ian Hanna-Mansing is on the show. So Mark who? Messier is on Sorry, the show. who? So you may have heard of him. He's the anchor of The National. Oh, mm-hmm. I hear some. And his name? Uh, some Canadians from time to time tune into the show called The National, <laughs> anchored by a guy called Ian Hanna-Mansing, who's going to be on the show. Oh, yeah. And Mark Messier. Uh, but some other really great stuff as well. Uh, the reason I'm specifically mentioning our Sunday email, we call it our Real Talk Sunday message, as a matter of fact, yeah. is that we love to feature at right near the, the end of the email a review from somebody that reviews our podcast. And sometimes it's from a day ago and sometimes it's from 10 months ago. And they're just reviews that mean a lot to us. So this one from Danone 26. Yes, like the yogurt. Danone 26 says I'm gives us five stars on the podcast. Thank you. And says I'm ready for conversations, conversations that discover conversations that challenge conversations that inspire. Bring it, Jespo. I am ready, says Danone. I hope everyone else is, too. Do you notice the date? I did notice the date. It was launch date. Yeah. November 23rd. Uh, which was awesome. So we invite you, please, to rate and review our show. It really helps us out with regards to ensuring that more people check out Real Talk and join us on this journey of what we're building. But also, you might see your review featured on a Real Talk Sunday message. Again, you can subscribe to that for free by scrolling to the bottom of the page at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food would love for me to remind you... That they're about more than just raw food. As a matter of fact, if you go onto their website, granddog.ca, don't forget to use the promo code grand. Oh, no, pardon me. Promo code real talk to save 10% off at granddog.ca. Real talk, the promo code to save 10% off your first time order. Scroll down to supplements under the shop now link and you'll see supplements that can help your dog protect, digest and more. A daily probiotic, maybe might help with allergies, protection against food intolerances, a recurring ear infection, skin problems. Remember that testimonial we read you last week? And then the digestive stuff for like older dogs or or dogs with chronic pancreatitis. That's a real thing. Chronic acid reflux. Our boxer Moses is dealing with that. These supplements, and you can find them all at granddog.ca, are going a long way to help out furry family members all across the province door-to-door delivery via granddog.ca also a big shout out to our friends at eden landscaping you know i was talking a couple of weeks ago about how the team at eden spends the, the fall into the winter months doing a lot of the planning work they plot out these i mean beautiful projects you don't have to hire a landscape architect when you go to them it's a one-stop shop right at landscapeedmonton.ca well they reached out to me and said you can also remind real talkers that some construction can carry on through the winter no problem including these three season rooms that a lot of people are building plus like the pergolas and the gazebos the covers over maybe your outdoor eating station so many people i see getting these outdoor pizza ovens it's like the new thing everybody seems to be getting they're getting more and more affordable why not put a nice i don't know cedar pergola over the top i should stop now because i'm not the ideas guy that's why you hire Eden Landscaping. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. 
Well, still to come on the show, we'll take a look at the results of our most recent question of the week. Uh, you told us how you feel about the results across Alberta's municipal elections. We talk, get into a little bit the equalization referendum, daylight saving time, etc. This all put together by the talented team at Y Station, our official research and strategy partners. But we acknowledge that there may be real talkers across the country right now that have a hell of a time maybe even checking out our question of the week or maybe streaming the show or maybe anything else that involves Internet connectivity. We've heard politicians talk about this at the municipal, provincial and federal levels in fleeting fashion. We hear that it's a priority, but even in recent conversations around reconciliation, for example, the reality rises again that rural Canadians right now do not have the reliable high speed or broadband Internet connections that many would agree are essential to operate these days. Byron Holland is president and CEO of CIRA. That's the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. CIRA uh, manages the .ca domain name registry and advocates for a trusted Internet for Canadians. Byron, welcome to the show, and thanks for making time for us. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I, I, I suppose, and I shouldn't say something like this, our technical producer Sam's going to just roll his eyes when I say, I suppose the guy in your position has got to have the most rocket-fast Internet of all time to be able to do it. I mean, you're speaking on behalf of Sierra. This thing, this thing better not be skipping frames. Where are you talking to us from today? Well, I'm speaking to you from my home where I definitely have pretty good Internet because yeah. I'm in an urban center. Uh, and yes, yeah, sure. Back at the office, which uh, we're at from time to time now. Sure. Yes, it's pretty rocket fast. And we're very fortunate on that. front. You get your team together and you say we better have the fastest Internet on planet Earth if we're going to maintain our credibility. But listen, all joking aside, I've I, I, you know, through my career in talk radio and, and now doing this, I mean, it's been a recurring theme from rural audience members saying, you know, talking about how frustrating it is that they don't have reliable high speed Internet. How much of a problem is this across the country right now? Well, I think it continues to be a, a huge issue for those who have to live with it. But certainly from a Canada perspective, it continues to be what I think is one of the preeminent issues that politicians have to face. Because we're talking about fundamentally the foundation of everything that we build upon now. So whether it's business, schooling, healthcare now, uh, socialization, let alone entertainment. Almost all of those elements in some way, shape or form are built on the foundation of the Internet. So if you've got a crappy foundation. All of those key elements are built on, you know, a soft spot. And we just can't have that if we want to be a progressive nation in uh, in a digital economy. So, Byron, I don't want to uh, take anything for granted uh, and assume that we all understand what the problem is here. I, I would imagine a big part of this is still physical, like physical infrastructure. Right. And, and actually laying physical cables or putting up physical towers, stuff like this. I mean, what did, what does remedying this look like? And it is, of course, a challenge. Right. And there's no there isn't actually a silver bullet for this. We live in uh, the second largest country in the world. We're relatively small population, certainly for the size of the country. And we do it in a northern climate. I mean, those are a lot of tough elements for which internet service providers have to build their, their networks and infrastructure. But yeah, as you just said, 
putting fiber in the ground, cable in the ground, connecting cities, towns, villages, and even individuals in remote and rural areas is an expensive proposition. You know, the good news is urban centers, where, to be fair, the majority of us live, are relatively well connected. It's when you get outside of those urban centers, and you don't have to go very far outside before that connectivity becomes a problem because either there isn't fiber laid or um, it's relatively old or there's a lack of competition. So not only is it the actual access, but it's the pricing for it that's an issue. Well, and this leads me to a comment from Jason, who's watching us live on YouTube right now. He says Canadians have poor coverage, but we've also got the highest rates. Uh, Jason says Canadian media companies are the worst. What's first of all, what's Sierra's relationship like with Canada's big media conglomerates? Well, we're in a very different space than the space that they actually occupy. I mean, we run the .ca. That's what most people know us for. What people don't think about per se is that in order to do that, we we run the underlying domain name system or DNS infrastructure that allows for that to happen. So when you type in a chapters.ca, you type that into your browser, that query or that request goes out onto the open internet and returns the one and only official chapters.ca site. We're the ones who do that, in a sense, authoritative traffic routing. So we are definitely familiar with the, with the core infrastructure and plumbing of the internet. So in some sense, we do similar things to ISPs, but they are in a very different part of the business delivering that service to the end user kind of at their front door where the internet enters their home. So who is this up to then? If we, if we want to, you know, if somebody wants to start lobbying as a citizen or if people want to understand better where the pressure needs to be applied, is this on media companies to make this right? Is this on the federal government to make this right? I know municipalities are going to say we can't afford to do this, especially rural municipalities. So, so who does this fall at the feet of? The challenge, of course, with a complicated issue is there is no one person responsible for it all. But clearly, at the federal government level, there is a responsibility for policies, strategies, and funding. And I think some of the good news is feds are putting some money where their mouth is. Um, you know, the Canada Infrastructure Bank is putting $2 billion uh, to this problem right now. Even the CRTC, the regulator, is putting $750 million to connectivity-related issues. The, the Universal Broadband Fund, $1.75 billion. So the feds are definitely doing something, but this is a problem far larger than just federal government strategy and some money. The ISPs themselves are absolutely responsible and do have infrastructure programs, but they are private for-profit companies. Uh, and to be fair, they have to, you know, they're responsible to their shareholders. They are going to invest in infrastructure that has a return on investment. There are large swaths of Canada where that will be a very difficult proposition. And that's where you're starting to see some other, uh, other forms of connectivity take shape. Um, in fact, in, in Alberta, uh, the mayor of Sturgeon County was lamenting, lamenting the ISP uh, service there, the cost and the performance. And in fact, they've started to build out a, a municipal not-for-profit network. Uh, everybody's probably heard of Elon Musk's Starlink satellite service. That's starting to cover remote environments. So there are a number of different solutions to this problem. And quite frankly, we're going to need to leverage them all. 
And I haven't even talked about provincial programs, but of course, each province um, has some fingers in this pie as well. Is there one provincial jurisdiction uh, or territorial that you think is, is doing a particularly good job on this or has a particularly intuitive plan? Uh, I would say BC and Ontario are fairly progressive. Uh, I'm here in Ontario right now, and definitely, you know, we're seeing we're, we're seeing good investment from the province, but it is still very much experienced differently by the end users. So, if you're a citizen in BC or Alberta or or Ontario, your connectivity, if you're in a remote environment or a rural environment is an entirely different experience than if you're sitting in downtown Edmonton or, or downtown Calgary. And that's, I think, the key challenge that all Canadian end users are experiencing if they're in remote and rural environments. And that, I think, is one of the real fundamental challenges. It's it's the remote and rural environments. The city's pretty well connected. In fact, over COVID, over the period of the pandemic, we've actually seen performance in urban centers increase significantly. In fact, the speed of internet performance for the average end user in an urban environment has almost doubled over the course of the pandemic, whereas rural and remote have stayed flatlined essentially at very low speeds. And I think that's where all levels of government need to really pay close attention to and start putting their money uh, you know, where their mouths are. If you're just joining us uh, streaming live on the Mixler audio app, we're talking to Byron Holland, who's president and CEO of CIRA. That's the Canadian Internet Registration Authority of our, of our live audience. Some really interesting comments here. Uh, Byron, I want to throw a bunch out there. Grab a hold of one if you'd like. Kim Great. says uh, a lack of infrastructure is why we have deeply conservative pockets, lack of nuanced conversation about people who live here, and it hurts physical and mental wealth. That's an interesting comment. Uh, she goes on to say progressive governments have an extra incentive to make this happen. Tracy says, despite Alberta's wealth, the governments of the past two decades have not invested enough in infrastructure that we need. Remember the, the so-called super net that was going to be the best. Uh, some random guy, uh, that's the actual handle, says privatizing our that joke works every time. I just got to keep going to it. I just got to keep going to that. Well, love it. yeah, I some, love it, some yeah. random guy says privatizing our telecom was a massive blow to competitiveness. Uh, even now, Rogers is trying to buy out Shaw, which already bought out wind mobile. <laughs> some people are talking about the good old Ed tell and AGT days. AGT. What a throwback that was. Uh, did privatization hurt consumers in this context? You know, I would probably have to disagree with it in the context of Canada has a unique situation and that we really only have two or three IS, major incumbent ISPs in any given area or province. And two or three uh, doesn't provide a huge level of competition. And I say that in comparison to a similar environment like Europe, where no matter where you are, you have many, many providers to choose from. And that provides significant levels of competition that uh, in part are certainly responsible for the much lower prices you see for uh, internet connectivity services in Europe and certainly mobile services. All of that, of course, is a little bit different than what we're talking about here today. So I would argue that one of the challenges we feel and see and experience here in Canada is not enough competition. And if we saw more of it, I think we'd see price pressure um, that would help reduce prices for end users and probably performance pressure that could increase uh, connectivity in terms of performance 
and reach. Huh. We're getting a lot of interesting testimonials here. Shauna says uh, her business is in an industrial park in Edmonton, says we had the big phone company Internet. And frankly, they don't even care when it, when it goes down. We have no other option for fiber. So we were forced to go satellite. Uh, James says Starlink is a good patch for rural coverage. But the downside is a sky full of low Earth orbit satellites. Is that a thing? It's definitely a thing. Uh, you know, low Earth orbit is 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 the description of the Starlink service and others that are coming online. And if you think about it, it's pretty straightforward. Traditional satellites are much, much higher in the sky. So they're able to cover a much broader land area. So you need fewer traditional high orbit satellites versus the new low Earth orbit satellites. They're much closer to the ground, so they, in effect, see a smaller patch of the ground and connect to a smaller patch of the ground. The upside, of course, the point is uh, much faster speeds because you're not connecting to something so far in the sky. Distance is shorter. Speeds are faster. You, the end user, experience it as higher quality, faster Internet, more like land-based or terrestrial Internet. So that's part of why we're going to low Earth orbit is just better Internet performance. But your caller's point is true that, yes, that also means more satellites in the sky for sure. Logically speaking, uh, who's watching right now wonders and has a question about something that I don't know anything about, Byron. So I'm throwing this to you cold. Uh, But Kelly wants me to ask about Bell and then Bell Axia in Alberta being given exclusive rights to the so-called next mile after the initial supernet. I have no idea what Kelly's talking about, but it sounds to me to be somewhat interesting. Can you bring us up to speed or do you have a take on this? You know, I'm going to have to admit um, on a very specific local issue like that, I'm not I'm not uh, very familiar with that particular issue. No, that's totally fine. Uh, I I just thought it sounded to me to be the type of question that and and maybe Kelly can uh, can provide some background information. That sounds like something we might want to look into. Uh, But ultimately, I mean, it comes down to this. You know, we've got audience members here that are saying at this point, you know, I mean, considering everything that's moving online, especially considering the pandemic and maybe lessons that we take from that. But more and more education is happening online. I'm about to remind our audience members about Athabasca University and why we're so proud to partner with them in just a few moments. Of course, we know that so much of healthcare delivery is going online is including or let me say, especially rural communities struggle to staff physicians struggle to keep. I mean, so many health healthcare initiatives are happening digitally or online. More and more people are saying high speed Internet is a human right. Do you agree with that? I mean, as a basic human right at this point in 2021? Well, I think in 2021, we're probably at the point like much of Canada was the better part of a century ago when we were electrifying Canada. And many parts, many urban centers had electricity uh, and rural did not. And it took intervention and government level intervention to essentially force the electrification of all of Canada and provide those services to all Canadians, even in remote environments, Uh, because we can't expect pure private sector for profit actors to do it all. We do need government intervention, particularly in those low density rural and remote environments. And the Internet is no different than that. But look, you just said it. 
almost everything we're doing has been forced online because of the pandemic. And there's the stuff that we used to do, you know, you get your book from chapters.ca or, or other e-commerce shopping. But I mean, how many of us literally overnight either had to take our entire business online and pivot dramatically? We had to start going to school online. We had to start working eight hours a day online, uh, let alone the things that none of us thought about at the time. I mean, we celebrated birthdays online. Uh, I went to two funerals, three funerals online. That was an interesting experience. Yeah. And a negative because we couldn't be there. On the other hand, so many more people were able to participate in a funeral who couldn't necessarily come to the, the geography where it was being held at. And I just use that as an example because we've gone through a lot of negative over the past 18, 20 months. But what are we learning from it? We need to be able to extract the positive, And there certainly is some. And we've all ramped up on our capacity to use and manage the internet. We, we, we probably accelerated that curve by a decade in over the course of two years. So we need high quality internet for all Canadians. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the thing. We're all Canadians. And it doesn't matter if you live in a rural and remote environment or you live in downtown Edmonton. Uh, we all deserve and need in order to do all those things I just listed, high quality internet. And one of the things is, you know, and, and certainly for your uh, listeners and subscribers, the age-old axiom, right? You, you can't manage what you don't measure. So one of the key things is just measuring internet performance. So it's not a subjective interpretation. It's what is the actual performance of my internet here in my home, here in my business. And part of that, that's part of the, the key understanding of do we actually have good internet? What do we actually need? You know, the CRTC, the, the regulator for these issues, says that all Canadians should have what they call 5010 service. What that means is uh, 50 meg download, 10 meg upload. And that's how much data can you download in one second or upload in one second. And 5010 is considered the, ben the basic standard that we all need. And good news in the cities that's fairly available. The issue in rural and remote is we see through our own proprietary research, and, and there's other research that, that says the same, it's about five meg download. So one-tenth of what the CRTC, our regulator says, every Canadian should have. And that fundamentally is the big challenge for our rural and remote folks fellow Canadians. We've received a bunch of emails to the show. And as a matter of fact, uh, in conversations on this show with uh, with several uh, Indigenous leaders, uh, this has surfaced in the context of reconciliation. And I mean, the basic premise, uh, which I, I think is for the most part undeniable, is that you that uh, Indigenous people in Canada cannot participate in society without reliable Internet and on many First Nations reserves. It simply does not exist. I know that Sierra had something to say about this on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation back on September 30th. Can you take us into the position of the organization? Sure, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, I think what you just said is absolutely right. I mean, many, uh, many First Nations folks live in remote or rural environments, and they, they experience the same challenges as anybody in a remote and rural environment. It's just not good quality internet, not high performance internet. From Sierra's perspective, uh, 
I, I'm going to say we do a couple of things. One is we have uh, an independent testing tool. So anybody can go to our website and check out the CIRA Internet Performance Test. And that gives an unbiased agnostic overview of the true performance of your internet connection. And that gives you, the end user, a very clear understanding of your own internet performance, as well as the internet performance of those in your city and region, so you can compare from that perspective. But it also gives us a really granular understanding of these remote and rural environments. So we can say with objective fact um, that the, the, the different territories, the different communities have X performance. And that is the first step in then speaking to government, to speaking to service providers, et cetera, for Indigenous communities to say, look, here are the facts of our performance, not acceptable, needs improvement, whatever, whatever the case may be. So that's a first start that we, we provide for free. The other thing that CIRA has the benefit of doing is providing a granting program. So every year we grant money to, uh, to really great projects that help improve the performance of the internet in Canada in general, but we also are very focused on the Indigenous community. And over the last number of years, uh, we've worked with over a thousand different Indigenous communities, helping them measure their internet performance, as well as helping them build out uh, internet infrastructure in their own communities, in a sense, those sort of private networks that help deliver higher quality, better internet to those indigenous communities. So we do it on the two fronts. One is get the facts, allow allow those communities to have good conversations, and then actually help fund uh, some small and really, really interesting, innovative and worthy projects. Gilles with an interesting comment says you got to make the comparison to roads. Uh, if you want everybody to have highway quality roads, you need to have public funding. Why would a private company create unprofitable access I might also say, and, and, and I think that this is maybe a little bit more direct of a comparison, uh, the entire, I mean, the entire existence of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, I mean, its mandate at its core, at least at inception, was to ensure that Canadians or people in Canada everywhere had access to media, to information, to the news, so to speak, and 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 to a certain degree, as a parallel storyline, had, had the right to have their stories told to the rest of the country. And that's why I think a lot of times you could look at where the CBC might be unprofitable in certain areas of Canada, whether that's just with broadcast reach or with journalists stationed there. Uh, and I'm not here to argue on behalf of the CBC or to crack against the CBC. I'm just saying that its entire mandate circled or centered around that premise, that idea of access for everybody regardless of profitability. Do you see kind of a parallel storyline there, either with Rhodes or with the CBC? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why, I mean, this is complicated. If it was, if it was simple, it'd be done. It's not simple. In high-density environments, the internet service providers can generate the returns that they need to satisfy their shareholders, you know, traditional for-profit environment. But in rural and remote environments, that's a very difficult proposition. So we need other solutions because people in rural remote environments, they're Canadians too, and they deserve and need internet to participate in Canadian society, Canadian economy. So then the question is, how do we get that to them? And that's gonna require multiple solutions, but one for sure is the intervention 
of senior levels of government, be it the federal or provincial, and sometimes at the municipal level too, where they have to step into the breach where it doesn't make sense for the private actors to ensure that that last mile or in remote environments, last hundred miles, kilometers, uh, gets connected too. And it won't be just fiber in the ground. I mean, right now, at this point, fiber in the ground is going to del- consistently deliver the highest quality internet. But that's not the only solution. We talked about low Earth orbit satellites and others. Um, it's going to require many different solutions in order to ensure that everybody's connected. Look, the CRTC, the Canadian regulator, has said that we want to have 90, uh, 95% of people connected to high quality internet by uh, by 2025 and essentially 98% or everybody who wants it by 2030. But you know, if you're one of those people in a remote environment, I mean, 2030, that's a long time away to be connected with good quality internet connections. So I think we need to think about, we as citizens and expressing it to levels of government, how can we get connected faster? How can we be more innovative, more creative, and, and quite frankly, possibly add some more money to it so that all Canadians can participate in the internet economy and internet society far sooner than 2030? Byron, I suspect you're going to deflect this question, but I've got I've, I've got the CEO of Siri here, so I have to ask. You keep an eye, obviously, on the communications giants, in Canada and something is going on in and outside the boardroom at Rogers with Martha Rogers. You knew I, I had to ask you. I know your body language. You're going to deflect, but I have to ask Byron uh, Martha. Uh, so one of Ted's daughters, who's a director on the board, is calling out her brother, Ed. Uh, she says she has the support of her mom, Loretta, who's also obviously involved in the company. And she says she's going to protect Ted's best interest, what he would have wanted for the company. She suggests that dad would have fired his son, that Ted would fire Ed right now based on what he's doing. What do you make of what's going on? And does it concern you that there could be some disruption with regards to the governance of one of Canada's biggest, if not Canada's biggest communications company? <laughs> well, Ryan, you're definitely taking me outside of my sweet spot. Um, <laughs> but I, I, like everybody else, uh, quite frankly, is probably riveted by what essentially is a family drama, right? Yeah. No matter how big your business is, it all comes, you know, comes down to being a family business in this case. And uh, the boardroom drama is quite frankly incredible. I mean, this is this story has so many threads. A, a big one of which is just effective corporate governance. I mean, there's an entire story around that, clearly. Uh, and there's there's very much a family drama, which, I mean, can you imagine what Christmas dinner is going to be like no, this year? I would love <laughs> to see what Christmas dinner is going to be like. I suspect yeah. there may be, just like there's going to be two boards at Rogers now, apparently, uh, there will probably be two family dinners, too. Uh, I, that's probably best for all concerned, actually. Yeah. But no, here's the thing. Uh you know, from the end user perspective, it is, it is, if not the, one of the largest ISPs in Canada. It's on the cusp of doing a giant takeover of another ISP, one of Canada's other large ISPs. Those are incredibly important uh, projects, activities, not just for those companies, but for all of their customers. 
And clearly that takes the focus of the entire senior management team on board of each of those companies. So, you know, if the eye is off such a critical ball as that kind of a merger, uh, clearly that's not good for any end user, any customer, Rogers or Shaw, or quite frankly, since they're big enough, you know, most, most Canadians who use the internet. Um, so obviously not good for their family and not good for the average end user, let alone the shareholders of those organizations. Hey, thanks for taking the question. I appreciate it, Byron. Uh, before we let you go, Sam, can you put them on full screen so the audience, those that are tuned in on, on YouTube can see what we're talking about? Uh, some compliments we're getting from the audience members on your Ansel Adams piece. Love it. I'm a big <laughs> fan of his work as well. But everybody wants to know, and this is not an unusual question on Real Talk, did you paint the piece of art that's over your right shoulder? Is that your work? Yeah, uh, no, it's not. But it is an original oil done by a good friend of mine named Pat Biggs. Uh, some of you may recognize that name. He was a multi-time Olympian national team alpine ski racer and a bit of a renaissance man. He's an engineer by trade, a World Cup and national team athlete by passion, uh, as well as painter. So uh, my good friend Pat Biggs did that one. Oh, yeah, there's a one another series that... Uh, that I'm, he has done his we're wildlife just, series. We're just taking a look right now at PatrickBiggsDesign.com. What a talent. I love I, I love yeah. people when, when people's CVs are like, oh, yeah, and by the way, was an Olympic athlete. I love that. Oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> yeah. also went to the, the Olympic Games. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Byron, it's been really nice to connect with you. And, and on behalf of people, I, we're hearing from a lot of rural folks right now, and I know that more will hear this once the podcast drops. Appreciate your advocacy, and thanks for making time for us on this Monday. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And thank you for raising this topic. It's a critical one for all Canadians. Yeah, you know it. That's uh, Byron Holland, uh, president and CEO of CIRA. That's the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. You can find him online at CIRA, C-I-R-A, CIRA dot C-A. He took more of the Rogers question than I thought he would. He's, he's like, well, this is outside my expertise. I loved I loved the eye roll that he gave you. Yeah, that it was, was so was, great. He was, was like, a, oh, geez, we're going there. Well deserved. Hey, I could have yeah. I could have led with it. At least I yeah. buried it. At least I buried it near the end. <laughs> Some of his questions like that, you never know in case you never know, because Byron and I have never spoken. What a really nice, nice guy. Got a good vibe going with him. Right. But you never know. I mean, you get somebody that's a little ornery on a Monday morning and the, that's the first question. They're like, I'm done with what is this? So sensational tabloid talk show i'm out of here and then the zoom call drops and then we're like well uh but yeah that that is major drama and i'm watching now season three i will not uh throw any spoilers out there don't worry but season three of one of the greatest shows right now i won't say is it on television technically television has the device uh, on which I'm watching it, but streaming it succession. Anybody else watching succession? I'm in season three now. An amazing show about people sort of think it's maybe about Rupert Murdoch kind of, mm -hmm. but not really. But but, uh, you know, an, an octogenarian billionaire that's built this massive company. And now the kids are jostling to figure out who's going to move the company forward, who will be the company's next CEO. Your body language, Sam, tells me that maybe you're watching succession. I'm not. I hear about it everywhere. And, and like, to like totally honestly this drama at rogers is going to push me to start watching succession yeah someone someone here said it's uh this 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 rogers thing sounds like a very trashy reality show uh i don't know if if ed rogers wants to be the villain in this new reality show mm -hmm. uh but i i suggest it might be quite highly rated succession might be kind of the best you're going to get on the fiction or at least inspired by fact fiction front 
uh, highly recommend that show. Fantastic show. Interesting that you're watching it and you're using internet yeah, to watch it. Right. So it's I mean, just, I mean, everything, this, the, the tentacles yeah. that it, it is in all aspects of our lives, this, this conversation, I just, I, I really feel for folks that can't access. So, you know, like when things start dropping or you don't, you can't, <laughs> I was just out in Nordic this past weekend and yeah. not being able to have internet was debilitating <laughs> probably good for me as well no it's it, it is it's good if you're doing it to get away it's not good if that's your reality where you live you know it's like oh okay we're pulling the kid you know you know we're pulling the kids out of school and everybody's moving online and you're like well what does that mean for our family because our internet stinks or you know we, we don't even have it so i appreciate everybody uh chiming in you can always tell us you know we want to hear it from your side of the story from your mouth you can Text us, uh, not text us, but you can email us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Maybe I'll give your number out, Sarah, so people can text you. Perfect. That'd be great. I'd That'll love be great. that. Just text Sarah <laughs> um, if you've got something to add to the show or maybe you're just looking for a text buddy because uh, Sarah's not very busy. So she can just take your text and no problem. That's at 777. Alberta getting a new area code, by the way. Did you see this? It's like, what is it? 368 or something or 364? Or I don't remember. But uh, yeah, I remember back when there was just one. Way back when there was just one. 403. Our friends at Local Waste Services. Has, was Edmonton the 403 back in the day too? Everybody was, right? Yes. And then Edmonton went to the 780. So Calgary's like the OGs. Calgary and Southern Alberta. I, I remember when they rolled out the new area code, they distributed stickers that you could put on your phone that was a map of Alberta that yeah. showed this half is 780 and ah. this half is 403. And then 587 came in. Yeah. Right? And then, but it's... it's they not, stopped being regional at that Yeah, point. they're not regional. Yeah. Exactly. So you could get the new one and... Yeah, but when you have the 780, you're like, oh, you're an OG. You're an OG, 403, when you, yeah. Yeah, but when you have the 587, you're like, oh, you're a late, you're a latecomer. When yeah. I when I moved to Toronto, they gave me a, a, a six, oh, man, it's 416 and 687, that's what it is. And they gave me a 687, not a 416. And 613 too, right? Uh, that's Ottawa. Was that Ottawa? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was an outsider because yes. I didn't have a 416. Did they make you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Every time you'd share people, your number? They'd, people in Toronto are mean. They'd kind of give you that. Oh, they'd come give you that. off it. Yeah. Sam, we're trying to get a million people in Toronto I mean, to subscribe people to the in show. Toronto are the greatest love- Canadians and we want them well, all to subscribe well, somewhere in the middle we'll find it somewhere in the middle of those two borders listen I have friends in Toronto really Some of my friends <laughs> I have friends in Toronto it's uh <laughs> okay I'm gonna stop it there our friends at local waste want to remind you that for a quarter century they've been family-owned and operating keeping it local in the business of construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. I just saw a new local waste bin go in at a business near our house, and I walked by, kind of walked the dogs by with kind of a uh, nice smile on my face. It's nice to see more and more of those green bins out. They're doing business in Alberta and Saskatchewan. The cool thing about the way that local waste is operating, and if you know Chris Labas here, if you if you know Lauren, if you if you know Mikel, uh, the CEO over there, Mikel Pelchi, they're all about the business in the sense that they're always looking for opportunities to partner and grow. And so they want us to let you know that if you're looking for a bin, either temporary or more permanent, they'd love to talk to you, earn your business. But also, if you see an opening in your community, you think your community is underserved in the business they're in, they're looking for entrepreneurs to partner with all the time. You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website or go directly to localwaste.ca. 
A big shout out to our friends at Westworld Computers. I was in there just the other day. I was pretty proud of myself for walking out with, with dropping three figures, not four, which was a big win when I go into Westworld Computers because there's always something cool in there that I'm looking to upgrade like that Series 7 Apple Watch. They've got them. They've got the new generation of iPad, that sixth generation, of course, the supercharged MacBook Pros and those new iPhone 13s, the iPhone 13 Pro and the Pro Max, of course, as well. Plus, service that you can be not only proud of dealing with this company, but also rely on. They've been fixing Mac products for more than 40 years at Westworld.ca. And as I mentioned earlier, we're so proud to partner with Canada's online university. This is Athabasca University with world-class accredited online programs and courses. You can learn more about them. And they are an online university, but they still have important information about COVID-19. You can find it online at AthabascaU.ca. The the one difference with AU over any other online post-secondary, they didn't have to scramble when the pandemic hit. Their entire platform has been custom designed to meet you where your availability is and you can learn more about Canada's online university, as mentioned, at AthabascaU.ca. Well, our official research and strategy partners at Y Station help us out with a question of the week. We call it our Get Real Question of the Week every single week. And before we tee up this week's, we want to take a look at what Wow, about 750 of you told us last week when you chimed in following Alberta's municipal election. 736 surveys completed online. We sure appreciate that when hundreds of you chime in on this just after Election Day. Now, this is a statistic that just makes me proud of you, Real Talkers. Check this out. 97% of respondents to this question of the week voted. 97%. To put that into perspective, in the city of Edmonton, 37% of eligible voters turned out. In the city of Calgary, 47% of eligible voters turned out. 97% of Real Talkers that chimed in on our question of the week showed up to vote. That's remarkable. Here's another highlight put together by Y Station. 50%, half of Real Talkers in Calgary, say They accurately predicted, I don't know, I got to throw a word in like that. There's got to be some caveat. 50% say they accurately predicted the mayoral election. Get this, in the city of Edmonton, in Alberta's capital city, three out of four, 76% of real talkers say they accurately predicted the mayoral election, which is pretty impressive. Here's another interesting one. Less than one in 10 of you, 9% of real talkers believe that the province will be able to get their act together and work with the new city council. So there's not a lot of confidence that there's going to be a healthy working relationship between the cities and the province. So that's something interesting that that only time will tell. Uh, I think I might consider myself among the concerned there, but we'll see. I like to believe that as these councils swear in, some of them today, uh, and by the way, the federal government is going to be swearing in tomorrow. So it's a big week coming up. We want to give these councils time and we want to see if maybe the province might extend an olive branch or two to indicate that, you know, whether it's because of low polling popularity or something else that the province is willing to work with the city. Listen, I'm trying my best to be optimistic here. When it comes to South When it comes to the mayoral vote in Calgary, southern Alberta, 
This is pretty remarkable. Now, people will say, you know, the real talk audience will vote along certain trends or different lines. And in this case, you would be right. This is pretty significant. Ninety four percent of respondents in Calgary voted for mayor elect Jody Gondek. Ninety four percent. Contrast that to two percent for Jeremy Farkas, two percent for Jeff Davison, one percent for Jan Damery and one percent for other candidates in Edmonton. Similar, but not exactly the same. In Edmonton, of the real talkers that chimed in on our survey, 83% say that they voted for the mayor-elect, Amarjeet Sohi. 7% of real talkers that chimed in voted for Kim Chriselle, who finished third in the race. 4% of you voted for Mike Nickel, 2% for Cheryl Watson, 2% for Michael Oshry, and uh, 1% of you reported voting for other candidates. Also, 1% said you didn't vote for mayor, by the way, which is kind of interesting. We also asked you about how you feel about these, you know, the the uh, referendum, the referendum in particular, the vote outcomes on and in the context of what you think this provincial government's going to do with them. Thirty six percent of you told us we'll call it one in three that the provincial government will take action on some part of the referendum vote. So you, you might be talking about either equalization or daylight saving time. 33% of you, more accurately, one in three, say the provincial government will not action any of the outcomes of the referendum votes. And 7% of you said the provincial government will take action on the outcome of the referendum votes. In other words, 7% of you believe that the province will act on both of them. When it comes to how you feel about the results... You know, I mean, I think we can read into it a little bit based on who you told us you voted for and who ended up winning. But this is interesting. 70% of real talkers that responded to this, 70% of you say that you're happy with or can live with the winner of their local council race. Only 4% said you didn't like any of the options that were given to you, which I thought was kind of interesting. We asked you what you think the outcome of your local election means for the future of your municipality. So obviously, these are going to be different contexts based on where you're chiming in from. And we'll note that the numbers were a little bit lower on engagement here. 750 is still a lot of people. Typically, we like to be over a thousand. But again, we're, we're just talking to real talkers in Alberta this past week. So we understand the sample size was a little bit smaller. One of you said uh, it gives me hope. We've elected some fantastic individuals, notably women, which is what we need right now. The future is bright. The future is full of hope. The future is here. Another says uh, out of Calgary, I adored Mayor Nancy, but the words, quote, declaring a climate emergency made me feel more optimistic than I've been in years about our environmental crimes. This was from Mayor Elect Gondek in Calgary. That was the statement, I think, that gleaned the most attention. That was one of the things that really drew attention to that interview in particular, to have her exclusively on the record the morning after the election. The mayor of Calgary, you know, Canada's energy capital, I think it's fair to say, talking about declaring a climate emergency as her first order of business. That was a moment on Real Talk. We've had moments on Real Talk. That was a moment. Uh, Audience member went on to say, my health has even suffered greatly when it comes to the environment and i feel a bit of hope for our future and for future generations and hopefully this can move from a bit to a lot when it comes to how seriously we take this another one of you chimed in from medicine hat of course we just talked to mayor-elect clark earlier this morning said this was an historic shift for the politics of medicine hat 
residents were clearly tired of the old boys club and were looking to elect more progressive, more inclusive leaders. And in Edmonton, earmuffs kids. Audience members said in Edmonton, this will mean a safer, more compassionate, more inclusive city. It also means that Mike Nickel can finally fuck off and let real public servants do the work of making this city a place where we lift each other up. But will he? Remains to be seen. Will he F off? Some people think that uh, he may try to secure a seat uh, for the UCP in 2023. He already tried that. Who knows? He already tried, (laughs) lost the nomination race, didn't even make it to an election. Fact of the matter is, Mayor-elect Sohi is who we'll be spending the majority of our time talking about moving forward. And finally, we asked you what referendum question you would have asked Albertans if you could. One of you wanted to see a referendum around a provincial sales tax, a PST of 2%. I thought 2% was a little low. I think if you're going to introduce 15%. it. 15%. Well, make it, make it easy to get into it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? But 2%, they, they say, uh, they say that for purposes of discussion, uh, and this may not be exact economics, but for purposes of discussion, for every percent, for every 1% of a sales tax in Alberta, you can tack on a billion dollars in revenue uh, to provincial coffers. So if, if you want to make up for a, you know, approximately $5 billion budget shortfall. And again, these are moving targets. So I don't think you want to act sort of in, you know, in in reactively, you want to be proactive, but I think, you know, a 2% sales tax, if you're going to be the government that introduces a provincial sales tax, you're going to want to put some thought into how you do it. Right. And uh, I think probably saying like every other province in the country, we're going to introduce a PST, but ours is going to be lower than all the rest might be a way to get it done or might be a way to sell it to the people. Uh, Other people call it the third rail of provincial politics in Alberta. In other words, you step on it, you're dead as a politician. Some people think that it's sort of that that poisonous apple. Interesting. Yeah, the I third mean, rail, they call it. I know some of the wisdom around, you know, setting prices is you don't want to set low and then raise them. Yeah. Um, you want to raise them. You want to have them set a little bit higher uh, if you anticipate doing a sale of some sort. So you'd be Brian Mulrooney bringing a 7% GST, then be Stephen Harper and roll it back to five. Yeah, because then you're then you're the hero, Yeah, right? I mean, to me, I'm also like, well, where's this money going to go? Is it going to go to the war room? Because yeah. if it's going to the war room, yeah. I don't know that I need a PST right now. Yeah. Uh, another said, I'd like a referendum about coal mining in the eastern slopes. One of you wanted to see a referendum question about building a high-speed rail network between Calgary and Edmonton. I think you could even expand that. I mean, I know it would be super expensive, but some people have said, why not connect Southern Alberta to Calgary? Why not connect Fort McMurray to Edmonton? That that infrastructure could could go between more than just the two largest cities. Yeah, I think so. I I, well, I mean, I've been wanting high speed rail for I, I, a lot of Albertans have been wanting high speed rail for decades. And I mean, you're right. Edmonton, Calgary is a logical corridor to start with. But like Lethbridge all the way up to Fort McMurray. Yeah. What's further south? Lethbridge or Medicine Hat? Whichever one's further south should be the terminus. Yeah. Well, you could, you could run it down to Cardston. Uh, sure. You know, run it down to, the, yeah, whatever. Um, man, it's been a while since I've been down in southern Albert, like Waterton area. What a mm. beautiful the water skiing or wakeboarding in, in like near Paddle boarding out, out there. But it's freezing cold, but it's beautiful. It's just wonderful. Haven't been down there because they had the big, the big wildfire that sort of took down their tourism center and everything. I know that rebuild's been happening in a beautiful part of Alberta. Here are some of the referendum questions I would like to see. These are not my words. These are yours, Real Talkers, but these are the ones I agree with. Number one, should we bring back Red Robin restaurants? The answer is yes. Here's another one. How much of a good boy is the puppy? 
with options A, so much, B, all the good, or C, yes. The bestest boy. The bestest boy. Uh, one of you wanted to see a referendum. Did I already mention coal mining in the eastern slopes, which I thought was good? Uh, another wanted to see referenda on uh, provincial delivery of universal pharmacare, child care, and dental care with federal support and cooperation. See, these are the questions that this premier, or for that matter, I mean, this isn't exclusive to, to Jason Kenney, but no premier is going to put no on way. referendum questions that fly in the face of their political leanings or their political priorities not a chance yeah. you think jason kenny's going to risk having 85 percent of albertans say they'd like to see cooperation with the feds on pharmacare are you kidding me not a chance so there's no way that happens and then one of my favorite questions that chris and the team at y station ask you anything else one of you said i'm just glad the election's over i'm happy for mayor-elect gondek one thing i dislike however is election signs they're bad for the environment. They don't serve a purpose. I, I disagree with that. Says, if anything, I think they should be allowed on personal property only. Yes! It's okay to show who you support, but I can guarantee nobody will vote based on a sign that they saw on a boulevard. I disagree. That same person says, now, if we could just get rid of Councillor Chu down in Calgary. Big demonstration yesterday. Yeah, huge and lots of representation from political Including folks. the mayor-elect that was there. Yeah. She said it, she thought it was important to show solidarity. We're, we're going to be following that story. It goes without saying, obviously. Another one of you said for uh, for my wife and I, the past two and a half years have really called into question whether or not we want to raise our kids in Alberta. Edmonton's home, but we're gravely concerned about the direction this province is heading in education, health care, child care, racial inequity, environmental issues and more. But watching these elections, watching the results roll in with our three month old baby sleeping on my chest. I couldn't help but feel a surge of hope and optimism for this city and the future it could provide for our daughter. That's amazing. I saw somebody else post a photo uh, last Monday, and it was just like a first person, like a POV, a point of view shot, a photo from behind. A, I don't know. Is this word 100 years old behind a pram? Do you know what I mean? No, like if you're a, in Australia, that's what you call that. That's what they call it. Yeah. Like, like a stroller, but fancier, like a bassinet on wheels, a pram. A right? stroller, but fancy. Yeah, because like strollers and, you know, strollers are like anybody gone. Like if you if you haven't gone shopping for a stroller, oh, my, you can get stroller like stroller. A stroller that's two grand is not even like that big of a deal. And you can get strollers for 50 bucks, too, on Kijiji. But it's true. I know, Sam, you look you're looking look, maybe a little bit cynical right now, but you just wait one day if maybe you go stroller shopping. I, I, I'm not cynical. I'm, I'm terrified of having children just based on I mean, I'm not <laughs> terrified of having children. I'm terrified of having all of these like, what, like OK, sorry. Two thousand dollars. Like, does it have Bluetooth? Like what? Do you, like, what do you no. get in a two thousand dollar stroller? Well, it's very safe. Not a lot. It's it's lighter, which is a big deal as you come to learn. And they have like little, like, I don't know. I mean, our stroll is pretty amazing because we, we had the generous help of my parents with it. But like the one thing it has that's pretty unreal is a cup holder. You also have to be careful with how you use a cup holder on a stroller. Why don't lawnmowers have cup holders? I, uh, yes, liability. Oh, and it, so <laughs> strollers are allowed them, but not lawnmowers. Uh, I, I would recommend no matter what is in your uh, travel mug that a stroller with a cup holder should always have a travel mug as opposed to a can, if you know what I'm saying. But you'll be happy and relieved to know that the stroller bounces around so much that you can't put a beer in there anyway, because then it just goes flat. You know, a beer that gets sort of like loosely shaken all the time. No bueno. Good to know. Good to know. And of course, I'm only talking about walking, not driving. To be clear, we know we're going to get someone send me an email talking about drinking and pushing a stroller. Absolutely. And, you know, that's exactly what happens. 
But yeah, seriously, strollers are like, anyway, I can go off on a tangent here. To be in the stroller business is a good business to be in. We need a sponsor. Well, you know, and there's going to be a lot of people right now that are going, wait, we've got a stroll in our basement we haven't used forever. And maybe you can make somebody's day, put it on your community marketplace or something like that. Discount it for the families that could use a stroller that don't have a grand to spend on them. Another one of you with regards to takeaways said the Alberta referendum questions were confusing, divisive and wasteful. The daylight saving time question confused many people on what they were voting for or against. It should have been simple. Do you want to change time or not? Then Albertans could vote on whether to keep Mountain Standard Time or move to Daylight Saving Time if they don't want to change time annually. The equalization question was pure divisive gaslighting. And another one of you said, my largest concern this election was with choosing school trustees who strongly support all students, even those that have been traditionally marginalized and those who strongly oppose the draft curriculum. I know that that was a a drum that a lot of people were banging, uh, encouraging their fellow citizens to research not just the mayoral races, but your council races and your school board trustees as well, because it's such a huge impact. I mean, these trustees, you know, you see it before people will say, well, I didn't even vote for a trustee because I didn't do I didn't know what their plot. I didn't vote. And now I found out that, uh, you know, our trustee is really problematic. I mean, ultimately, not to be like the but like, who's that on? You know, so it was something that we tried to take a few minutes. We did take a few minutes and and really look at the platforms. And I get the sense based on the fact that 90 97 percent of our respondents voted. I know that the majority of them would have done the same thing. Our new question of the week sort of builds on this last week's. I mean, as mentioned, you know, city councils are going to be swearing in between today and uh, you know, Mayor Lett Clark talked about Medicine Hat November 1st. They're, yep. they're happening over the next number of days. If you go to our website, RyanJesperson.com, you click on question of the week. We reference the fact that there's a lot of political change happening this week. New municipal councils sworn in. The Alberta legislature will resume sitting. The federal government's going to swear in tomorrow. What do you think the new provincial priorities should be? How will the cities work with the province? What do you think about these two prominent mayors leaving Calgary and Edmonton as you look back on the tenures of mayors Iveson and Nenshi. Come help us invites Y Station. Answer these mysteries. You can click on the link to respond. It should take you about three minutes and we're really grateful for it. Coming up in just a second, positive reflections. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But first, I wanted to remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Park Power. Uh, we're about a week away. We're just over a week away from November 1st. Why is that significant? Because every month there's a limited availability when it comes to the fixed rates. A lot of people take a look at at their utilities and find a little bit more stability, a little bit more predictability when it comes to signing up for fixed rates, Uh, but it's not automatically available. So if you're a partner, if Park Power is already delivering your utilities, your services, you might want to take a look at that online. You can compare rates, of course, find out what's best for your family. And if you're considering signing up using the promo code 2021-REALTALK to save $70 on your first bill, it's something you're going to want to look into through part of that sign-up process. It's never been easier. You can find out all the details online at parkpower.ca. We also wanted to remind you on behalf of our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, that's Baseline Road, Y Gardens, Westmount, Newcastle, Nemeo and Palisades, that Miracle Treat Day is coming up this Thursday. That means that every single cent that they collect 
on blizzards is going to the Stollery Children's Hospital. How great is that? If you've been looking for an excuse to buy 85 blizzards and hand them out to all your friends and neighbors, Thursday is the day. Again, it's the Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And of course, they're doing free delivery if your order's big enough. You'll have to call them and check in, and you can get into that on the phone. We're really proud of them. I mean, they don't want me to say the exact number. They're being somewhat vague to me because they're they're that way. They're somewhat private. But I can tell you their contribution to the Stollery in past years is high six figures. Like, big-time contributions from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. So cool. Every Monday, we remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Kubi Energy. They're providing solar energy solutions to power your life. They're a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power systems. Last week, I was showing you some pages from their Instagram. They're doing amazing stuff on farms across BC and Alberta and even beyond. They've got two offices in Edmonton and Kamloops so they can provide full installation crews across Western Canada. Now, each and every Monday, we also get our week started off on the right foot. Thanks to our friends at Kubi Energy. We tell your stories. Submit it to us via our email inbox, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Stick around right now as we get into our positive reflections. Now, typically, there will be a few stories of uh, someone paying it forward or a random act of kindness or maybe even a photo or video that made you smile. But today's entire feature is going to be dedicated to this email from Jerry because it's amazing. Jerry says, I I caught your interview with author Jesse Wente last week, Ryan, and and your candid sharing of your childhood interactions with your schoolmate, Bo, and the obvious emotional depth that it carried. It reminded me of an exceptional interaction I recently had with a former schoolmate. Jerry says, I grew up in a very small Saskatchewan town, our grad class, 20 students. There was no internet, two channels on TV. We used to spend a lot of time outside. Uh, I, I got large glasses in grade two, and I wore clothing from a thrift shop. Not an ideal costume for fending off bullies. You know, there wasn't a lot with, uh, you know, when it came to control around that age we enjoyed freedom of access biking walking around town but we were also really isolated in the sense that if you didn't fit in you were screwed and so these were like the same kids you grew up with from grades 4 to 12 and i was not one of the popular ones and even though i was white i was subjected to ethnic slurs i didn't find out what wop meant until i was in my 20s and the kids used to chirp me about my dad's job He spent his life devoted to the Department of Highways. It was a government job, and this must have come from the parents, because how the hell would kids know to make fun of a guy based on what his dad did? You know, I learned in my later years, in my 20s, about the stress my dad saw in his job. Every winter for 37 winters, he'd go out when the weather was the worst. He'd clear roads to keep travelers safe. He was usually the first one on scene at grisly accidents. But I digress. I graduated in the mid-90s, and I'd not gone back to town except for two funerals of classmates. One of them ended with a really negative interaction. My parents moved, and then I really had no reason to go back. The positive memories were vastly overshadowed by an overall sense of anger and resentment after years of bullying. Says it's been very sad for me. But fast forward to recent times. We lived in Cold Lake. 
We were invited by friends there to attend a wedding in BC and we met these friends in Cold Lake and, and didn't know much about their prior lives. And to my astonishment, before the wedding at the Friday night party, I see a face I'd not seen in almost 20 years. He was a year older than me in school. We quickly reacquainted on a surface level. He was actually family of the wedding party and we shared pleasantries through the night both talking about this wild coincidence how two small town saskatchewan boys would wind up at different places in alberta and cross paths at a wedding in bc toward the end of the evening he tracked me down within the melee of the party with people swirling around music and drinks and dancing he apologized he apologized for the way that he had treated me growing up and I said, how oh, we were kids and we were trapped in a small town and what could we do? But he pushed through that to the reality that had obviously been bugging him for a while. That even though the situation was what it was, that he had been a jerk and that he did nothing to make my life better and in fact made it worse. And I realized that what he really wanted me to know was that he knew. He knew what he'd done. And he said to me that so long ago, he knew that it had power the type of power that changes people, that stays with people, that alters their neural pathways, their perspectives and their behavior. And maybe there was some self-serving element to it and that's not lost on me, but that moment at that party changed my life. He changed me again, in fact, and this time for the good. I made sure he knew on many levels how his words affected me from my still present deep emotional pain to all my subsequent relationships. He gave credence to the suspicion I've always had that people do know how their actions affect others and they do think about it later. They do reflect on it and it can change them. It was a heavy moment, a moment I'll never forget. And I've used it as validation in my own quest to right my own past wrongs and to do less harm in the world, to be more reflective, more positive, to speak up when I can drive change. It's part of my journey, an actionable, measurable, journey that forces conversations debates education and real talk that night was incredible with a few small words that person initiated a chain of events that will have positive impacts for years if not generations through my children and it shows it's never too late that says jerry is the power of real talk absolutely incredible jerry i've got chills thanks for sharing you can be like Jerry and send us an email, your positive reflection to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we are working on getting journalist Brandy Morin to join us. She's been covering right there on the front lines, so to speak, that Ferry Creek blockade. We'll take a look at her remarkable videos and hear the stories that the rest of Canada needs to hear. Plus, we're going to find out more about the future of Alberta's energy industry. How much do you know about geothermal? We'll ramp it up on Tuesday's show. In the meantime, make it a great Monday. Thanks for hanging out with us today, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti. Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.